0: county to go the Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy harris and John Samsure. This is our winter colds and flu edition. How are you, Stacy? <laughs>
1: Good morning, John. I appreciate you you uh, sympathizing with me. Uh, sorry to everyone for the voice today, but we are getting over the flu and the head cold and all the stuff that goes with it. But but we're here and we're we're ready to go, which is a, is a, a far better than where at least I know I was at yesterday. I don't know about you, John.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this has been this has been such an interesting year, and the the timing of the holiday it was such that. But it's like everybody took a month off. It's really wild. Things just ground to a halt for it's it's at least three or four weeks now, and um, they're they're getting started back up. I imagine the airports will be crowded next week with business travelers returning to their um, time on the road. And you're traveling next week too, yeah.
1: Yeah, going to Atlanta working a little bit more on our on our database efforts that we're doing this year. But yeah, no, I, I, I think everybody I it was interesting because I think there were some people who thought, Oh, well, well I'm gonna get back to work a little bit, but with, with the New Year's falling in between the middle of the previous week, everybody kinda waited. And then you sort of know that it takes at least a day or two after you get back into the office, which was right this year on the eighth, right? Seventh day. Yep. And so we're really into almost like you said, the middle of the month before people are really getting back to work this year. Um, and well, I have to say, if I hadn't gotten the flu, it would have been a nice little break. And the flu actually forced me to take probably more of a break than I expected. But that's okay. A couple of days um, of rest is, is probably necessary after all the traveling that I was doing. I know you definitely needed it as well. Um, I have a feeling this year is going to be just as busy, though. Um, there's not a lot of new news but um, i think we're heading into what's going to be a really um i would say turbulent is a good word uh 2020 right i think a lot of people are 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 excited about 2020 but are also somewhat scared about what's going on 2020 we obviously opened up the year with a lot going on politically and internationally um but we're also seeing a lot of um News being made around technology and concerns around technology, artificial intelligence heading into the new year, all the big predictions about what's going to happen with AI uh, came across my desk this week. So, so yeah, um, a quiet start to what will be, I think, a very big year. So.
0: Yep. So we're going to talk a lot today about um, sort of where where work is headed and um the educational infrastructure to support where work is headed, um, and I wanted to uh, to get the conversation started this time by telling a story about a phone call that I had this week. Um, a a vendor who doesn't really serve HR, but but is a an IT and operations vendor, did a demo for me, and uh, their product. You you install the software on every desktop in your organization and the product monitors employee usage of uh, various apps. And when you have a problem in the app, the software pops up to give you suggestions about how to fix the problem or how to optimize your system. And then as a part of the installation, they offer the capacity to do surveys of the desktop. And so so their story is that um, um, this is employee experience as done by IT, and that IT should be in charge of employee experience. And so I, I kind of buy the idea. I often wonder why HR thinks they should have dominion over the employee experience, because they just do HR stuff, and HR is a relatively minor concern in the day-to-day life of a employee. Uh, So we talked for a while, and I asked them, don't you think that employees who have your software installed on their desktops are going to think that the company is spying on them? And the CEO of the company said, well, we don't spy on people. And I said, "Hmm, that wasn't really the question. I appreciate the fact that you don't. I'll grant that you don't spy on people, but if you pop up on my desktop, I'm going to wonder how you got there and what you know about me, so don't you think that people are going to think that you're spying on them and We went around and around in this sort of escalating thing where I'd ask the same question and he'd give the same answer and I realized sort of at the end of the conversation that he had no clue that people thought his software was surveillance software. He gave me the standard thing that the vendors give me when they don't know how to answer a question, which is, we never hear that from our customers. He said, we never hear from our customers that this is surveillance software. And I thought to myself, wow, you're filling out all of the IT stereotypes I ever had about IT people not being able to muster the slightest bit of empathy. <laughs> and, and so so we have this problem, which is, which is that a lot of the software that we that we talk about in HR tech sits on employees' desktops and is perceived as surveillance software. And of course, it's perceived as surveillance software because that's all that's in the news is the fact that the software that's on your desktop is spying on you. Um, and, and I don't think um, our industry understands and I think we might understand this question a little bit better than the IT people do. But but I was. I, I was beside myself trying to figure out how to get this guy to see that that what he thought his software did was not what his users thought the software did.
1: Well, I'm I'm going to have I'm going to put a stake in the ground here, John, on this one and say this is exactly why I think HR owns the employee experience. Um, I think there is no doubt in my mind that when HR is done correctly, it is more than just HR policies and procedures. And yes, it is a small amount of the overall things that need to be done in an organization on a day-to-day basis. But HR as an advocate of the employee, because yes, I mean, there's no doubt that the employee experience is not just about what you think they should be experiencing. It's about their actual perception of what's happening inside the organization,
0: right? And somebody uh, has to understand
1: uh, that. Well, but it gets you to the really
0: interesting question. Very quickly, you get to the, will employees actually tell you the truth if you ask them? And everything that I see that does employee surveys starts with the assumption that what you get when you ask a question is an honest answer. And I think that entirely ignores the dynamic involved when I am the person who authorizes your paycheck and you're not. Uh, there's a power relationship there that means it's not always really very interesting to tell me the truth just because I asked the question. And, and I'm not sure you ever can root that particular variable out of the conversation. So when you ask people, do you think we're spying on you? I would expect the answer would be no. Because what do you get for saying yes? You get somebody to come and tell you, oh, we're not spying on you. <laughs> and and you go, well, well, what about all this stuff on my desktop
1: where you're monitoring
0: everything that I do?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think the other side of this, though, is um, – some level of expectation with the current population. Well, so so my story around this, I think, it's probably a little more personal, but a little bit more relevant of what what I think is happening in the market is, you know, we got our my parents a uh, uh, an Alexa show this year for for the holidays, and you know, my dad's very leery about all this new technology, but but he loves the idea of having things at his fingertips, and it's helpful to remind them when you know when they've got to you know, do doctor's appointments and all that stuff. It's a valuable tool for them and for me to make sure that everything's sort of happening in the household that needs to happen. But my dad and my brother were talking over top of Alexa, right, you know, having a conversation about shrimp that day. And then all of a sudden, shrimp recipes started popping up. And my dad somewhat freaks out a little bit saying, you know, why is it showing me shrimp recipes? I did not actually ask it about shrimp. I was just talking about shrimp. And I said, yeah, but it's always listening, Dad. And his perception of what the technology should be doing versus my perception was very different. And if you talk to my son, who's the generation behind me, his perception is that everybody's always listening. Technology is always monitoring you. You have to just understand what to do with that information versus that it's not going to, right? That, that the perception that should ever not be monitoring you. I mean, my son's perception is that every piece of technology they're using is monitoring everything they're doing. And so they have to understand that when they're using it and how to better use it knowing that information, right? Isn't that an inter- a conversation as well, which we're having?
0: But, but I think, I think that that's when you talk about what's the future of work and, and, and where are things headed, this is an essential, an essential element because if you're always on camera, you're going to behave like you're always on camera. Exactly. You know, you know and, and and people do not relax when they're always on camera. People do not do a whole bunch of things when they're always being monitored. Um, monitoring produces levels of anxiety that are, that are new. Surveillance is a, is a harsh word for, for the reality that you're always on TV now. You're always being recorded. You're always being pulsed and monitored. Um, and uh, it's going to produce really interesting side effects as people figure out how to uh, hack the system. Because you have to. a okay. self-defense. You have to.
1: You Exactly. And I, and I think to hack the system is the piece where my kids are at at this point, right? I'm sort of at a point where it's, it's here. It's just here. I just have to figure out how to run my life with always being monitored, my kids are at a point where they understood what the, you know, incognito mode meant in, you know, the, you know, um, Chrome uh, browser much quicker than I did, right? And, and what value it added to, to their searching capabilities and their ability to look for flights and things that I, I didn't even realize, right? So those right. are the kind of ways they're talking on a regular basis about how they're using technology, right? And, yeah you know this is the world that we're heading into right? <clears throat> This is the world that we're heading
0: into and the privacy battle privacy battle is actually getting pretty interesting and it's sort of surprising that we're not talking about it more in HR and HR tech. Uh, Apple is kind of leading the way in eliminating the possibility of being monitored. right They're starting to ship software that inhibits tracking. Uh, and uh, and that's something that people like them for right that's this is something interesting and new now. Uh, so I think we'll start to see that express itself in HR tech, but I don't really I don't really understand how yeah
1: well and, and and the hard part about this, and this is the conversation I've been having with with, with my children is, In some cases, incognito is valuable, you know, for things you're trying to do, you don't want to raise prices or you don't, you want to look at stuff outside of your bubble. In some cases, it's not, you know, you want the right marketing stuff. You want to have ads sent to you that align with where you're at. You want the right health information, right? And so your role as a consumer, as a technologist, becomes understanding the ways in which You know, not just perception and psychology and nudges and all the things that go along with that work hand in hand, but then when you need to be outside of all of that and be a savvy enough consumer of the world that you're in. And I mean, consumer of information in general, not just sort of buying and, you know, products and stuff, but the consumer of the world and the data to know when you need to step outside of that bubble. And that's an education process that I don't think we're doing very effectively with with our next generation. Or if we are doing it, we're not building it into the work models that we have right now at all. Right? Or, so, or we're
0: pretending that that employees aren't already doing this. I think that's that's yeah. closer to the truth. Is that is that. Um, the idea that you allow people to know the things about you that help you and don't allow people to know the things about you that hurt you um, isn't particularly new, but now it's technical. Now it's technical. The idea that that you don't come to work and tell everybody about the fight that you just had last night with your wife or your husband um, Mm, there's not anything particularly wrong with that, even if even if some software might label you as having lower engagement because you're not fully transparent about your home life, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you, you know. And so so people people know how to self censor, and learning how to self censor technically is just the next thing, but it raises this question of how do you trust the data that comes out of employee surveys. How can well, you trust?
1: And, and, I, and, I, and I think it goes beyond that because then it then it goes to how can you trust the insights that it's providing back to people about what they should do and when they should. I think this actually leads right into where some of our our conversations started this week. So one of the things that you shared with me, John, and one of the articles that that we definitely put on the list to talk about this week was a great. Um, article called At Work Expertise is Falling Out of Favor done by The Atlantic. Um, We'll post it on the the, uh, notes for the show this week. But it was a phenomenal article that walked through sort of how, in this case, it was particularly focusing on what was going on in the Navy, but, but what we're seeing across the global market from an education and a learning perspective of how we're seeing that as environments become smarter and technology becomes more embedded in the, in the tools that we're using, whether that's our ships or our manufacturing environments. The goal is to create environments where we need less workers and we have only a small amount of people who are running the entire environment. Um, this has been happening in manufacturing environments for many, many years. We're seeing it happen in, in some of the naval environments in this story. Um, it's been happening in other environments. You're seeing it happen in retail <coughs> these days. The idea is that you don't need a bunch of specialists who are running around who are specialized in any one area. You don't need so many people. But you do need a lot of what they're calling generalists who are able to flex between jobs and do multiple things on in an environment. I'm probably explaining that poorly. But this idea of the technology and the environment being more honed to make us more efficient workers who can do multiple jobs Assume that the technology is meeting all of our needs and knows everything about us it needs to know, right?
0: Well, so so the language is is is, is imprecise here. But let, let me let me step through the, the, the Navy scenario. So so the Navy is is introducing a new class of frigate, um, and and historically a frigate has had a, a team of 120 or 30 people who manned the boat so that you could get everything done. And the the, the numbers were driven largely because individual people had individual expertise. Uh, And so so there are all these people and now they wanna make a lighter, faster, more agile uh, battleship. And um, they wanna staff it with 30 or 40 people. And when you do that, the requirement for the expertise necessary to run the ship doesn't decline when you shrink the size of the staff. So you still need the same level of expertise, but you have fewer people to do it with. And so, so I don't like the term generalist because generalist tends to sound like um, uh, poets and artists and that sort of thing. The kinds of people the Navy needs to run this new kind of ship have multiple dimensions of expertise they're qualified and able to execute in different areas depending on the scenario that the ship is in and so the staffing that isn't we need an organizational psychologist so we have to have one full time it's we need organizational psychology, and so the person who does our HR also has to do our IO, and we can only hire somebody who can do both. And it's kind of a doubling down on expertise rather than um, assuming that the technology will handle it. Um, it's it's um, a deeper kind of specialization where people have multiple non-overlapping specialties.
1: Well, I think it, I, I think you're you're correct in that. I do think, though, there is a little bit of a difference. It, they don't need the same depth or level of expertise. I think they need to be experts in multiple areas. So, you know, they know <coughs> that the chef was also the person who was manning the top deck, who was also the person who was pulling in the rigging, right, which was generally each done by an individual person. So there is that do more with less concept going on there. But I also think they were very clear in this article, but I think in, in a lot of organizations who are trying to work this way, that that it was valuable that these were people who could learn on the job. When there were problems, they figured out ways to do it. So these were very, you know, sort of continuously learning model professionals who um, knew a little bit more about all those areas, but were not as, as deeply steeped as the original experts would have been because the techno the the engines themselves, for example, had a lot more capability of taking care of themselves than they had in previous um, positions. So these were not the same boats; they were very different boats, run with very different specs. And so I do think it's a mixture of both the technology and the skill sets and how those two are pairing together. I would add to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but the, but the idea that that these are sort of liberal arts graduates. Um, um, who can learn any subject that's thrown their way? I think I think that's that's what I'm kind of complaining about, Um you know, yeah. Because they're not. These are technical people who are adept at mastering additional technical skills. Um, and that's, great fan, yeah.
1: that's
0: not what that's that's not how I understand the term generalist, right? Generalist is more uh, McKinsey consultant, you know, a a a disciplined bullshitter with a bag of tricks is a generalist. And um yeah, you know, that's harsh. That's harsh. And and, and it's more than that. The, the, there's, there's, being able to think critically is really, really important. And there are a lot of soft skills that are really, really important. But the kind of person who can be the chef and at the same time run the top deck of a ship with command. Um and control over a big body of technology. This is not this is not somebody who read a lot of poetry in undergraduate school.
1: Well, but but I think that's actually the the reason why this fits really well with our earlier conversation that we were having about you know the the concept of of, of of transparency and letting people know what you think they should know versus what they, they need to know. In this next generation of workforce, what we're going to find is that our education system probably hasn't really prepared anybody for what's really happening in this new work environment, which is a, a highly technical, highly artificially intelligent, you know supported Um, environment where they're getting a lot of information thrown at them all at once, and where they have to make very important decisions that require some background in technology, some background in understanding where the data came from, some background in sort of thinking outside of the box. And I use that term in the, in the most non cliche way in the sense that, you know, because we're now in a new era sort of doing things the old way um, is, is not what we're looking for. We're looking for the idea that, um, you know, the ship is redesigned, which means you have to rethink maybe how you throw a rope out a window, which is one of the examples they gave in this, in this story, um, where before you would have always thrown it overhand, and this time you maybe slingshot it out because this new design calls for different thinking. It's just, I think, our new, our education is just not preparing. The, there, it's either the idea that you have to be highly technical and you know your skill set from top to bottom, you do a thousand hours of 10,000 hours of training in the Daniel Pink kind of concept, right? Or you are this kind of blase generalist who can sit at the top level and think critically. There's actually this middle ground row that we're going to need in this next generation of professionals who have the technical skills, also have these ability to flex and learn and are continuously having to be retrained on an ongoing basis. Think about the burnout of that think about the idea that these professionals never really have a point at which they feel like they've reached the ultimate top, right? That's right.
0: And so so one of the stories in, in the news this week, it's early and, and there's lots of recaps of last year. One of the stories is that uh, the tech investment for 2019 was nearly $20 billion. Uh, the, and this is the people who think that the way that we educate is broken and that there is a technical fix to it, spent more money than all of the investment in human capital, um, maybe double the investment in human capital for last year. And so so it's a recognized problem, But, but I don't think that I've seen anybody who is offering a technical solution that assumes, this kind of new worker who has multiple levels of expertise in uh, and the ability to move between them that the atlantic article talks about
1: yeah. and 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 i think that's really the big conundrum <clears throat> that we're going to have to face in this next couple of years is how do we retool our entire education model and our entire sort of workforce sort of, you know, support model, right? It's, it's not just how we educate them, it's how we support them on the job in an environment where you have to have high level levels of technical skills and the ability to flip back and forth between those technical skills and understand what's what what you're being given from the technology already, what what it's covering underneath and when something breaks, who's the right expert to go to, right? That kind of thinking, that kind of constant you know, but we were talking about the fact that, you know, in our job, we're start, sort of almost facing this a little bit right now where we're, we're never done learning. Every time we turn a corner, it feels like, oh, we've figured something out, figured out how this is working, and you turn the corner and there's a bigger mountain in front of you. This is going to require not just better education, but better support, better psychology, and more understanding of the kind of. Uh, Burnout levels that we're going to get inside the work environment. None of that right now is being talked at I think at any deep level inside organizations. And yet we're seeing it with a lot of the large global organizations struggling to get the right talent today. I think this is one of the big challenges. They can't find the expertise because they, they don't have people developed in this way. And those who are are getting burned out so quickly. Right. So, so I think I think
0: this is going to be an interesting transition. I want to I want to drag you back to something that we've talked about a bunch of times over the years, and that is the way that people are getting trained to do this work is they're playing video games. Yeah. And 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 so so the idea that the educational establishment, which is an industrial model, we put out workers at a certain rate with a certain range of skills and stuff. But just doesn't work, and you can't fix it. it can't fix it it's yeah. it's it is archaic technology uh, and and like every other time in human history, the problem is actually solving itself, and so when you look at the the ima- amazing and immense popularity of video gaming, what you start to understand is here are people who develop deep expertise in specialty areas and move from expertise to expertise gracefully over time because that's how video gaming works. Oh yeah. Uh, right, and, so, and so, so the real question is how do you articulate the skills that video gamers have and how do you start to qualify and certify them? And my guess is that um, uh, gaming and and professional video gaming is probably a pointer that nobody's paying attention to yet.
1: No, I, I think that's a, 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 a an interesting. You know, there there will be some interesting correlations probably to be made when we look back twenty years from now on on you know 2020 and and what came out of this this environment is that we're just starting to see now if you, if you figure the first sort of gamers right the first people who were who grew up on video games, which would have been my generation, right? You know, I, we grew up with, um, or, you know, Oregon Trail and Cranston Manor and, and um, you know, Pac-Man and all those kind of things as part of our everyday lives. And the next generation, which is your kids and my kids, who really, you know, elevated that to what would be considered RPG gaming, which is much more of a complex world environment, strategic you know partnering multiple lines of you know expertise we probably are just at a point now where we can start to take a look at how those skill sets are mapping up with this next generation of work requirements needed inside of organizations and i don't know that anybody's done that extensive a job except for in a couple of areas i know there's been some research done in the medical space where they definitely found that the eye hand coordination of gamers and the sort of ability to think quickly correlates very nicely with surgeons. I know there was a bit of research study done there. There was a little bit of research study. And what's funny enough is it's my my son who tends to bring this kind of research to my attention is that he had walked through sort of the gamers capability of sort of in the current education system and how they're less likely to actually do well in the current education environment in many cases because of the way they're used to working more collaboratively. And the current education system is not develop to work collaboratively. So there's, I think, an opportunity to start looking back and start actually doing some of this research. The other side of that, I think, that you're bringing up, though, is on our recruiting front, have we even begun to think about how you take those kind of skill sets into into consideration or start asking about those kind of things like gaming experience inside of our recruiting process? I I don't know. You can probably see more of that than I have.
0: Yeah, it's a great question and and we're not seeing it yet. We're not seeing uh, the credibility that's accorded video gamers in reality translated into um, HR tech at all. I don't see it. I don't see it. Whenever you encounter gaming, it is um, sort of gaming. Gaming in HR technology tends to mean, tricking people into doing stuff they don't want to do <laughs> yes we've gamified it. We, we've gamified yeah. it means uh, it's sort of like mary poppins it's a spoonful of sugar um exactly that helps that helps the medicine go down right it's not
1: yeah.
0: it's not celebrated as a skill it is celebrated as a way to manipulate people into doing what you want them to do to, to bring yeah. it back around <laughs> to the surveillance conversation, right? The and so the yeah. <laughs> it all starts with surveillance. Mm-hmm. It all starts with surveillance. It all starts with surveillance. This has been so a great cool. conversation. Thanks. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for doing this, Stacy. Nice mm-hmm. way to start the year, and I hope you feel better. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, next week next week we'll all be on the road again
1: exactly yeah so we'll talk to everybody next week
0: um, okay, hope everybody thanks.
1: has a great start of the year so
0: yep. thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week bye bye now
1: bye guys
0: oops sorry